Kansas State and Kansas have a combined record of 8-7, and seven, and when they meet Saturday in Lawrence, it will be the team tied for fifth in the Big 12, pitted against the team tied for ninth. So why is there this much excitement for their game? There's a freshness about the Sunflower Showdown. Both programs have new coaches with new approaches, and both are coming off thrilling victories. K-State over fifth-ranked Oklahoma, and Kansas on the final play against Texas Tech. Kellis Robinette and Jesse Newell, who cover the Wildcats and Jayhawks, break down the most important Sunflower Showdown in at least a decade and tell us what's at stake for both teams. Later, Suichi Tirada provides thoughts on what's going wrong with the Missouri Tigers, including some possible attitude issues, as Mizzou has dropped two straight as double-digit favorites. All of this on a College Football Friday, November 1st edition of Sportsbeat KC, sponsored by Big O Tires. I'm your host, Blair Kirkhoff. Kellis Robinette covers the Kansas State Wildcats for the Kansas City Star and Wichita Eagle. Kellis, I didn't think you would cover a game bigger than the one that you attended last Saturday at Bill, Fe- Bill Snyder Family Stadium. Um, and that was big. It was huge. Wildcats beat in Oklahoma. That was a remarkable victory for Chris Kleiman and, and the staff and the, and the program. But Kansas State's got one that's going to be, I don't know, maybe to their fans, even more interesting this Saturday when they travel to Kansas, the Sunflower Showdown against the Jayhawks. Have you covered a bigger KUK State football game than the one you're going to cover Saturday? I have not. This will be my 10th one with uh, the Eagle and the Star. And, yeah, this is the first one I've genuinely been excited about. Um, You probably have to go back to the days of Ron Prince and Mark Mangino to find another time where there was some actual buzz and excitement around this game. So it's a it's a very nice change and definitely the biggest one I've I've seen in a decade. Let's go back to last Saturday. That that win over Oklahoma was just phenomenal for the Wildcats, not just to win the game, but for but for almost all of it, you know, play the role of the dominant team. I mean, to build a twenty-five point lead in the fourth quarter and then having to hold off the, the the Sooners at the end. I was just so impressed. What what has been going well and what's been going right for the Wildcats since they you know had, had suffered that two-game losing streak to Oklahoma State and Baylor earlier in the month? Well, I think the big thing is they got healthy. And a lot of people, myself included, probably underestimated just how much value players like Malik Knowles and Philip Phillip Brooks, and especially Jordan Brown, their number two running back, gave to this offense. I I was kind of of the belief that, you know, having not having Brown out there wasn't that big of a deal um, until I saw what he did on Saturday. They put him in in formations, and his presence as a as a pass catcher and a speed runner had Oklahoma all kinds of confused. Um, opened up a lot of running lanes, and they even used some three running back sets out of an out of an inverted wishbone formation that picked up uh, a lot of yards and you could just tell the difference i mean you you talked about how much better they were on offense building a 25 point lead well if you go back and look um after oklahoma got out to a uh, 17-7 lead kansas state then reeled off uh basically kind of like a basketball game they went on a 41 to 6 run and i mean just mauled oklahoma scored on eight straight drives, did everything right, and you know that they, they certainly did have to hold hold on for dear life in the fourth quarter. 
And yeah, it got tight with that onside kick late, but man, to, I, I never, that there were some paths I could see Kansas state taking to win this game, but outscoring Oklahoma, uh, 41 to six over a stretch is not one I envisioned. And they had everything just firing on all cylinders in that game. It was very, very impressive to watch, especially after the struggles they'd had previously in big 12 games offensively. No, that's right. I, I put it up there with maybe the, not the, I don't know if the, but the biggest upset, I think South Carolina winning at Georgia probably qualifies as a bigger upset, but just as a, you know, as an impressive triumph between that and what Illinois did to Wisconsin a couple of weeks ago, what, what, what Kansas state, again, how they, how they went about their business in that game was just so impressive. And it, and it changes the way you think about, you, th- you think about the Wildcats. Look, you know, after those other two upsets, you know, and, and I would qualify those as the top three upsets in college football this year, Kansas state's the only one that, that climbed into the polls after that victory. So the Wildcats are back in the top 25, 22, is it this week in the AP poll? 22 in the AP and 25 in the coaches. There you go. So they're back in the poll. They're, they're not out of any kind of, uh, you know, big 12 championship game running. I was going to, I was going to ask you, what do you think is at stake here in, in, in Saturday's game in Lawrence? But one of the things that's going to be at stake for the Wildcats, as long as they keep winning, is an opportunity to play in the Big 12 championship game, which didn't seem possible after the first couple of conference games. Yeah, that's a great point. And now that they've kind of shown us their ceiling and what they're capable of, you look at the rest of the schedule, and there's not a game on there that you say they absolutely can't win. I mean, obviously, at Texas, Iowa State here, at Texas Tech are going to be hard. Even at Kansas is going to be hard. They're only a six-point favorite in that game. The Jayhawks are playing inspired football under less miles. So uh, if they can – I don't know how easy it's going to be to duplicate <clears throat> what they did against Oklahoma on a per-week basis, but if they can come anywhere close, um, they would have a chance. They would have an outside chance of uh, you know derailing Baylor or Oklahoma and playing there The just kind of the – the downer part of that is that at the same time, while you say all those games, uh, none of them are out of reach, I don't know that you can say any of them are slam-dunk victories either. It's not like Kansas State is going to be a huge favorite in any of them. Maybe at home against West Virginia, but all those games, like I said, starting this week are going to be difficult. So there's no weeks off. I mean, they gotta they got to keep the pedal to the metal if they want to um, do what you were talking about. Right. So – what do you see with uh, with KU? Uh, obviously, they're coming off. They're feeling good about themselves in that program, coming off a a, a victory over Texas Tech. When, when you when you look at this game and shape it up, what what do you think? Uh, if if there's a key matchup or or just a scheme that uh, that would be important for Kansas State, is there something the Wildcats can take advantage of? Just you know, just give us a little sort of a breakdown of of what you think you might see Saturday. Right. Um, well, offensively, I think they're going to just try and do what they did against Oklahoma, uh, win time of possession, get you know something like 200-plus yards on the ground, and then when they have to throw, do what Skyler Thompson did and come up with big completions. If, if they can do all that, I think they'll take their chances. On defense, the key matchup for me is just how does that defensive line and those linebackers um, handle Puka Williams? I know Carter Stanley's been on fire lately, and those receivers have looked really good of late with uh, with the way he's been throwing the ball. But uh, we've seen that when Kansas State has gone up against teams with really good running backs, 
like uh, Oklahoma State and like Baylor, uh, when they've stayed committed to the running game, they've been able to get some some nice chunk yards and win the game that way, kind of playing K-State style, running the ball back on them. Oklahoma, for whatever reason, last week just kind of abandoned that part of their game. Uh, some of K-State's coaches this week were still kind of in shock that they only gave their tailback six carries in that game. Um, I don't think Kansas is going to do that. I think they're going to give the ball to Puka Williams. And he's a guy who really likes to, you know, he never gives up on plays. If something's not there, he's going to jump backwards and try to make something out of it. So if Kansas State's defensive line can wrap up and create some negative plays against him and put KU in second and long and third and long, uh, I think that'll help. But if they can't do that and he's running for, you know, 200 yards or something, then it, it could be a long day. One thing to keep an eye on, and I mean, just just a little bit of obvious math. If Kansas State wins, they get to six. They'll be six and two, and the Wildcats will be bowl eligible. And there was there was a time when you kind of took that for granted with Kansas State. You just it was just a matter of what bowl game the Wildcats were gonna were gonna uh, uh, point toward. But but now, I mean, with with having sat out of a bowl game last year, the final year under Bill Snyder, and then again losing those two games in conference play. I don't know, after after the Baylor game, I just wasn't sure about where this season might be headed and um and, and what, what postseason fates would uh you know might await the, the Wildcats. But hey, cross that one off the list if they win on Saturday, being bowl eligible and then it's just a matter of um look at looking at the Big Twelve bowl uh contracts and see where, where the Wildcats might end up and I would suspect after a year of sitting out a a postseason game that this program would be ready and its fan base would be ready to to head somewhere in late December, if not early yeah. January. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And you know, if if they do it and get to six six and two, get bowl eligible after eight games, they would be in the running for one of the better bowls they've had in a while. Um, you know, last couple times they've been places. It's been the Liberty Bowl, the Texas Bowl the cheese it bowl and you know those are all fine they're fun um but yeah if they win this game and can keep it going maybe you're looking at uh you know a trip to that bowl that they have in orlando or the alma bowl or something better so yep. yeah it's 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 been interesting this week of uh you know in the past years coming down to the to the wire of the season people are asking oh you know how, how badly do you want to go to a bowl um they could they could cross that off right now so that'd be big for them All right, when we come back, we'll talk to Jesse Newell, who covers Kansas for the Star and Wichita Eagle. Kellis, great talking to you, and we'll chat with you again next week. Thanks, Blair. Always a pleasure. When it comes to saving you money on tires, nobody does it better than Big O Tires. Like saving you up to $120 on select sets of Goodyear, Yokohama, Pirelli, and Continental Tires now through November 3rd. That's $70 off instantly, plus up to $50 back by mail-in rebate when you purchase using your Big O Tires card. Hurry into Big O Tires and see how much you can save. Big O Tires, the team you trust. For the location nearest you, go to BigOtires.com. Jesse Newell, who covers the Kansas Jayhawks, is here. And Jesse, I got a question for you. I'm ready. What is true about Kansas football now that wasn't true I don't know, two or three weeks ago, let's say post-TCU. It just seems like a different team. Yeah, uh, they have a new offensive coordinator. and We've talked about him so much. I feel like I talked about him in the preseason, even though he was only an analyst at the time. But One guy, one guy has changed everything? Well, <clears throat> I'll say this, Blair. Um, 
it's so weird because I hear from a lot of people, and I think they're partly right with this because actually um, ESPN had a story yesterday talking about the, quote, unluckiest teams in college football, and Kansas is one of them because based off of some of the production they've done statistically, you might have expected more wins than three this year. Like West Virginia game, they had two more yards per play than West Virginia. We talked about that at the time. Um, you know, they've lost some close games. Coastal Carolina is another one where, you know, I mean, they lost the game, but we're in it at the end. So for Kansas, you can kind of have this narrative where you say, well, they should be, they should have four wins. They should have five wins. They should have six wins. But the reality situation is what they have right now is a really good working program because they have guys that are in really good roles that play to their strengths. And so what I'm talking about here is, so you originally had Les Kenning as your offensive coordinator. Uh, he seemed to kind of let Les Miles do what he wanted to do, uh, you know, offensively. So it didn't really work out. Didn't have a great offensive coordinator. Now you have Brent Dearman step in and he's just this bundle of energy and he has these great concepts and they have the run pass option and they're all of a sudden they're throwing for a ton of yards and they're running for a ton of yards. And then you also have Les Miles on top of it, who has relinquished some control of the offense, which never has been his forte, while still also being the face of the program, bringing some recognition to the program, and recruiting very well. So, yes, maybe Kansas could have had four or five wins if things happened differently. But what they have right now for the final five weeks, including this week's game against Kansas State, is sort of everybody at their top potential at what they do absolutely the best. And so for Kansas... Uh, it could be a really exciting final five weeks because you got Brent Deerman in there calling plays, and that's what he's really good at, and that's what he has been good at. And you got Les Miles kind of overseeing everything, and that's what he's been really good at and being kind of a CEO figure. So for Kansas, however they got there, they've gotten there, and that's what gives KU fans, I think, some hope that this Sunflower Showdown could be a lot different than those of the recent past here. You just said it. I think one thing that Kansas has now that I've seen because of the last couple of weeks that I haven't seen in years is hope. Hope that uh, they've gotten some things right. Hope that um, that they're not going to get run off the field by any of their really Big 12 opponents uh, because you pick, you pick one, pick any Big 12 opponent, and sometime in the last few years I'll give you a you know, a game in which they've got they got run off the field at some point. That doesn't matter who. I mean, everybody has has, has taken to Kansas at some point. Doesn't have to be Oklahoma or Texas. Everybody's done it. So, I that's I always have I've always believed that for a college uh, sports fan, and this is probably true in the pros too. Hope is the most important thing. Hope that things will get better or be better or continue to be good. And Kansas was hopeless for for many years. I I, I think there's. I think I can see some hope on the horizon here. And it's not false. It's not fake. It's not based off of pie-in-the-sky things. I mean, just look at the Vegas line. Um, you could spend kind of shifting a little bit here, but KU's a five-and-a-half point or a six-point underdog against a Kansas State team that beat the number five team in the nation last week. I mean, you can go back. I did this uh, on Twitter where uh, you go back on Odd Shark. They have some of the betting lines and some of the history of it. The last time KU was less than a 10-point underdog against Kansas State was 2010. I mean, think about this, Blair. Think about how many coaches ago that was. Like, uh, that was Turner Gill's first year. So it was the first year after Mark Mangino. So you go Turner Gill, you go uh, Charlie Weiss, you go Clint Bowen as an interim coach, you go 
David Beatty for his whole entire tenure, and now you got Charlie Weiss in his first year. I mean, we're talking five different coaches. We're talking about almost a decade has passed, and so this isn't some you know rah rah KU fan coming in and saying, oh yeah, of course KU's got a chance to win this thing. Of course they do, and, and then looking at the numbers behind it and saying, no, they don't. I mean, you're making this up. This is all in your head. This is a real thing. I mean, this is like, hey, K State is favored to win this game, but they're probably about seventy percent to win this game, and so. For KU fans, yeah, that's that's got to be a really good place to be because, like I said, however they got to this point, to the three wins, however, w- what they have right now is a realistic chance to compete against their in-state rival in a home game coming up, and uh, that has not been something that they've had here over the course of the last decade or so, and again, the results have shown it because KU hasn't won these games against K-State. They've come close sometimes, they've competed sometimes, but they haven't won. It seems like they got a legitimate chance to do that this weekend. Give us one matchup, Jesse, to, to look for. Uh, one, uh, you know, KU versus K State, K State versus KU. What, what, where, where can a pivot point emerge on Saturday? Well, if you're looking at this from the negative side of it, we keep talking about the offense for Kansas, and that is the one thing that's going right. And we see now that if your offense is that good, you can overcome a lot of things that are going bad. So, I'm um, probably two come to mind right off the bat. But the number one thing I would look for is defensively. This team, KU, is still beat up, and they still don't have much depth, and they're still playing guys that they probably don't want to play on the depth chart, specifically at the linebacker position. So if I'm Chris Kleiman looking at this, uh, I'm doing my best to expose Gavin Potter. I'm doing my best to expose um, some of the guys on KU's linebacker core that have to play right now that probably are not players that KU wants to play at this point. Now, again, this is not a knock on Gavin Potter. He's a true freshman. He walked in. He was a three-star recruit. Um, if all things went right, he would redshirt this year and get in the weight program and be ready to take on offensive linemen from Oklahoma and Texas and Kansas State in two years. The reality is K doesn't have other guys to throw in there. So he's getting better every week, but getting better and being at a Big 12 level are two completely separate things. So uh, I think that for Kansas State, uh, looking at this, putting him in conflict, uh, that's been how other teams have been able to really um, have some success against KU. And again, he's gotten better every week, so maybe this is a week where he can really emerge and step up and and show that he's learned some things. But that linebacking core in the middle of the field, it's really difficult if that is kind of in an uncertain place for Kansas, um, for other teams to look at that and say, okay, this is what we can do. We can do this in the run game. We can do this in the pass game. There's been tight ends running open, those sorts of things. So I would say uh, that middle of the field, that middle part of the defense versus Kansas State and how they choose to try to exploit that. I think that's a big thing. And then um, we said this for years and years. If if I'm talking 1B here, man, how many games has Kansas State won over time with Bill Snyder because of special teams? And those two teams, these two teams diverge so much on special teams. KU's special teams have been horrible lately. Like the last four weeks have been horrible. We're talking four blocked kicks and returns for touchdowns and K-State under Chris Kleiman has continued to, to put a lot of emphasis on that. So um, you don't want to say that one game could change. I mean, if KU plays that to dead even, you got to feel great about their chances. But that has been an area where they've really, really, really struggled in past weeks. So uh, if K-State gets one of those big plays, that might be more than KU can overcome. At block kick, um, if, the, if that Texas Tech, uh, who, whoever that player was who uh, recovered the block kick. Douglas Coleman, I think, his was his name, name. Yeah, had looked up and seen. He might have seen an open lane and and not turned around and whatever it was he was trying to do, lateral it or what I, I don't exactly. Anyway, um, quite a charmed moment for KU, and you, you haven't been able to say that much about Kansas football in recent years. Yeah, and I mean the one that comes to mind, you know, KU 
won a game against TCU, I think it was last year, with a butt fumble. Uh, I yes. remember writing about yes. that again. And That's it's the right. same sort of thing. I remember writing the story exactly what you said, Blair. Uh, so you, you touched on a really good point. I always talk about with men's basketball for Kansas, it feels like everything is always going to go right. You know, if they're down 16 to West Virginia at the field house and there's five minutes left <laughs> and a West Virginia bounces – Fluent West Virginia player bounced the ball off his knee out of bounds. You go, that's it. Yep. Kansas is going to come back and win this because everything always goes right for Kansas. And for football, for so long, it's been the exact opposite. When one thing has gone wrong, then the whole thing falls apart. And you're like, how are they going to lose this game rather than how are they going to win it? So for Kansas, yes, that was a very, very fortunate moment for them to have that come back. But uh, like I said, there are some concerns. If you look at the block kicks they've had, they've come from the outside, they've come from the inside, they've come from guys you would expect, they come from guys you didn't expect. So there are lots of things to look at for Kansas to get this thing cleaned up. And is one week enough to do that? I'm not sure. Uh, I, I don't I don't know because it didn't get cleaned up last week. So we'll see how it happens with KU. But like I said, if they can play the special teams to even, then they got like their chances in this game looking forward to seeing what the crowd is like should be a nice day on saturday and i suspect we'll see more bodies at memorial stadium than we have for a game at ku in quite a while yeah i think um three or four years ago k-state had one that was near capacity obviously k-state fans travel so well i'd expect them to have about a third of the crowd but you know less miles were released one of those emails that gets sent to donors talking about hey you guys uh, it'd be best if you showed up a little bit early because this is going to be a near sellout, if not a sellout. So this is not going to be the same sort of game day atmosphere that KU fans are used to. Where you've, I mean, I was just talking with uh, you know our colleague Valhai Gregorian out there about how early to show up to the game. Like last week, I left my house an hour 15 early, you know, and I'm in the press box 50 minutes early. Like that's that's the KU football experience. You know, you you, you expect that you're not going to have to wait too long to to walk in lines or get into security or even drive up to the drive up to the stadium. So yes, this will be a little bit different. If it was a sellout, man, that would be huge news. And um, what's amazing about this, I don't think we even really started talking about this until a couple weeks ago, but the fact that they hung in with Texas and they beat Texas Tech and they built up all this momentum and we think a lot of this has to do with Brent Deerman and what he's done, man, that's a there's some monetary value to that. I mean, what if KU is selling five to 10,000 more tickets to its fans because they believe in this offense and because they made that offensive coordinator change? Uh, I know there's been a lot of jokes on Twitter about, hey, rip up Brent Deerman's contract and give him a new one, but that's real value if that is the guy that's bringing these people to the ballpark and making you money. So uh, that might not be far-fetched. If Brent Deerman continues to do this, okay, you might want to make it a little bit tougher for him to leave in the offseason if some of the big dogs come calling. All right, Jesse, you have a great time on Saturday. I'm looking forward to watching it. Kansas, Kansas State, Sunflower Showdown, a meaningful Sunflower Showdown. It'll be fun. It's been a long time, so yeah, should be fun. Thanks, Blair. Hey, it's Blair. Hey, we have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners, unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Star's award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns we have to offer. And it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. For your convenience, your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50, unless you tell us to cancel. A lot of subscription services won't tell you that. They'll just sneak it on there. We just told you. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. We're back on Sportsbeat KC and in studio for the second straight week. What an honor. <laughs> Suichi Tirada, how are you, my man? I'm good. I'm good. It's very cold outside. We were just speaking about how I'm from Michigan and I love the snow, so I'm kind of embracing it. Very good. I hope so. Um, you 
have uh, brought a lot of bad weather with you. I noticed on, <laughs> on Saturday night in Lexington, Kentucky, it was a um, just a terrible night for yeah. many reasons. Y- yeah. if, if, if you're wearing black and gold, uh, those fans, man, I felt bad for them. Uh, but, but anyway, Missouri, you've covered two Missouri games at Vanderbilt, at Kentucky. Uh, you've seen him score, what, a grand total of 21 points? 21 points, yep, 10.5 point, points per game. Yeah, not great. yeah. Things not going so well for the Tigers. What Thumbnail it for us. What, what's, what's going on with Mizzou? Yeah, I'm not really sure. I mean, the first six games, it's not like they were playing great opponents, but at the same time, Vanderbilt and Kentucky, both those teams are not great, I think. Kentucky's not four and four. And yeah, Vanderbilt's listen, I would I would high. put him in the same class with you know uh, West Virginia with Ole Miss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, South Carolina isn't exactly a bad team, I guess. I mean, they they did also lose by twenty points to Tennessee, so that's just he's kind of weird this year in terms of the the levels of play not exactly being kind of all over the place. I mean, Missouri is very much so the same way, but. Yeah, I mean, the last two games, not great against not great opponents, so it's been kind of weird what the step back is. I mean, they've both been on the road, which which I think is looking like the common denominator in terms of being 0-3 on the road and away from uh, Faroe Field. One thing I've noticed in these two losses is just how, in, in terms of a, a different, you know, strengths and weaknesses, Missouri ran the ball really well in a lot of these home games. They yeah. get on the road, and all of a sudden, they, they can't, you know they can't run the ball, and that that hurts them in so many ways. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, you know, it, you, you don't have balance in the offense. You can't control the clock. Your your defense has to get back on the field pretty quickly. Yep. What's going on with the running game? Yeah, it's really weird. And I asked Barry this uh, after the game against Kentucky, and I, I remember tweeting at halftime. I have the stats up. It was. 62 yards in the first quarter for the Tigers and minus 12 yards in the second quarter, which Yikes. is uh, it, it's it's interesting. And I, I remember I remember also tweeting out that Larry Roundtree the third, who is, you know, in this offense, you're theoretically your feature back. He only had one carry that entire second quarter, and that one carry it went for eight yards, but it was also the last play of the half to just run out the clock after they gave up that one touchdown, that demoralizing touchdown. So it's been weird. I, I and going back to what Barry said, I asked him. What did he see between their first and second quarter? And I think the biggest takeaway for me was that he didn't really see any running room in the first quarter, which I thought was kind of an interesting comment. I mean, they were getting, you know, they were getting some runs. I think one of them went for 12 yards, some of them went for six, maybe seven. So, and I'm not going to sit here, you know, saying I know more about football than Barry Odom or I know more about his team parachuting in on the season. But it, it was interesting to see kind of the difference in play, play calls between the first and second quarter. And the reason I, I hone in on there and not maybe the third and fourth is that that second quarter when Kentucky goes on his, I believe it was a 22 to 0 run. I mean, that, 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 that quarter changed the game. So, I, I, it was interesting just watching Ken, not Kentucky, Missouri have some success in the running game, which is such a huge part of that offense, the foundation of that offense, and kind of straying away from that almost. What, uh, what, what do we think about uh, Kelly Bryant and his hamstring? I, I saw the play where he, you mm-hmm. know, he clutched it when he came off, you know, when he, was, when he ran out of bounds, and, and, then he, and then he missed snaps later in the game. Yeah, yeah, so he was taken off for Taylor Powell in the third quarter. Um, and Barry, Barry Odom actually mentioned today on his SEC teleconference call that that is a day-to-day injury, so it doesn't seem like it'll affect him too much later in the year. And the nice part is the Tigers do have a bye week, so to give him a little extra time to heal up that hamstring. Um, I, I will say I think that might have affected the play calling. I mean, 
I think one thing when you look about football and everything, once you have a running quarterback, when you have a quarterback who can run like Kelly Bryant does, that definitely helps the running game in terms of opening holes. I mean, the linebackers have to be conscious of that instead of a pocket passer. So I think that might have had something to do with the play calling. I, you know, I'm not going to, once again, I'm not going to sit here and say that did that definitely did, but it, it does affect your play calling. It does affect the offense and everything. And I mean, uh, Kavahe and I, our columnist here, we're talking about it just now, but those drops, I mean, they did not help the offense. And almost, Kavahe kept mentioning that it almost looked like the offense was kind of batting down the balls just because they weren't <laughs> able to get them. So it, between all those factors, between the passing game struggling, between the rain, between the running game, it, it just wasn't pretty for Missouri. And as a second straight game, that, that offense has struggled. So that is definitely, you know, a warning sign for that offense. So you, you talk to players and coaches after the game, and, and then there's – because it's an open week and Missouri doesn't mm-hmm. play until they, until it goes to Georgia the following week, there's not much access to, to the players. But did you get a sense of where the – and where the hearts and minds were of this team and what, what the mood was? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that Barry and a couple of the players said was not to let the negativity spread throughout the locker room. I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, a bye week after two straight losses, that that's not great because you're going, you're not playing another game. That's just another week where you're not, one, not playing football, but another week where you can't right those wrongs. So it's not like you lost it, but the momentum of that kind of swings over, right? So I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, the thing that I thought was so interesting, and I was listening to the pregame radio for Barry Odom, was that he mentioned, just like before the Vanderbilt game, all the practices leading up to the game against Kentucky were great. I mean, all the, all the on-field stuff, all the stuff going on in, be, you know, in between the hash marks or whatever, on the field, like, that, that's looking good for the Tigers. But then after the game, you know, we uh, Tristan, um, the center uh, from Missouri, he, and he's a great guy for the media just because he speaks a lot and he's very... Um, not necessarily outspoken, but he has a couple of good quotes in terms of, you know, kind of making you think or kind of being a little blunt. He and he really and I wrote about this a couple of times. He really put it well in terms of it being off the field stuff in terms of the team. Everybody on the team needed to look at themselves in the mirror um, and how some players and he didn't mention anybody. He didn't call anybody out, but he mentioned that some players on the Tigers weren't taking care of what they needed to do off the field, you know, whether that be in the weight room, whether that be, you know, I don't know, in the classroom. He, he didn't really specify, but I think that was an interesting comment. And he said, you know, I'm going to keep it real with you. He was being blunt again. So It seemed it's disheartening to hear. I think if you're a Missouri fan and hear that yeah, a player who, mm-hmm. who, you know, kind of shoots from the hip and speaks his mind, sees and notices that uh, um, that there are some who, you know, kind of not doing what they're supposed to do. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's one of your leaders on the team saying something like that. And I think – um, because of the setting, because it was in a scrum, it might not have been, you know, it didn't explode or anything. I don't expect it to, you know, be viral or anything like that. But those are those comments that you look at, and it, it, it kind of makes you think as, you know, as somebody who, as a fan, as somebody who follows the program, as somebody who is trying to understand what the last two weeks were in the struggles. So it, that was, yeah. Yeah, very eye-opening. So what I would what I would suggest if you're going to watch the the Missouri Georgia game, which I, I certainly will, is to keep keep an eye on body language, you yeah, know, for, for players, and just especially if things don't go well early, mm-hmm. um, and see if there's any sort of uh, you know kind of sideline squabble or uh, just that, that sort of thing. Listen, fans of football know they know dysfunction when they see it, mm-hmm. and, and um, I'm, I'm not suggesting that it's there for Missouri, but Maybe some warning signs of, are, are out there. And look, it's to these back-to-back losses in which the Tigers were double-digit favorites. 
You know, <laughs> coming off the five-game winning streak where – for one week, they were the only undefeated team in the division. And yeah, 2-0. And even with the appeal, the NCAA bowl ban appeal out there, un- the uncertainty of that, there was so much good feeling and optimism. The the Wyoming loss was so far in the rearview mirror, and things are just they were feeling good. And these last two weeks, man, man, it's just <laughs> how, how the winds change in college football so quickly. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing, I mean, Barry kind of said it very bluntly after the press conference in that he just hasn't seen the same team on the road compared to at home. I mean, at home 5-0, and on the road 0-3, like, th- there's something there. Um, I don't know if it's on – I don't know who it's on. I don't know if it's on Barry. I don't know if it's on the players. Just there's something there, though, that makes it so that the Tigers just aren't playing like the same team on the road. And, I mean, at this point, you know, you don't want to say – Three games is a big sample size, but at this point in the season, eight games into the season, that that's a disturbing trend. And so, especially, I mean, you're on the road against Georgia, who is still fighting, you know, for a playoff. They're still fighting for a position in the playoffs. Just that that's still, they're going to be hungry. And I, I'm very curious to see how the Tigers will look again on the road for their third straight road game. All right, Suichi Tarada, thank you for stopping by. Yes, and thanks we'll, for having me. We'll talk to you again next week. Yes, absolutely. Links to the stories we discussed can be found in the show notes, and the best coverage of the Wildcats, Jayhawks, and Tigers can be found on KansasCity.com. Derek Donovan produced today's effort, and Derek, glad you're part of the Sportsbeat KC staff and production team. Let's see, that's you, Leah, and me. But hey, we get it done. Hey, if you like what you heard today or any day on Sportsbeat KC, give us a rate and review. We'd love to hear from you. And that'll do it for another week of Talking Sports in Kansas City. We'll be back on Monday morning when we break down the Chiefs-Vikings game. Thanks for listening.